good evening ladies and gentlemen great to be here and tonight is going to be another awesome night the second part of our series with dr john uh, when it comes to understanding the mind and uh, today we're going to be looking at the battle uh, of the mind i did try to look at a couple of pictures as i was, as I was designing the poster for today and uh, first incidence was to think of uh, war that is going on with uh, bombs everywhere, with guys holding guns in talking about a battle. But the best picture I could come up with was one of two strong men holding their hands uh, with arm wrestling. And why? Because it's kind of inspired by what Paul uh, was thinking about in Romans chapter 7, verse 19. The things I want to do, those things I don't do. And I think that's what really, for me, the best picture I could think about when it came to the battle of the mind was that. Two sides, two sides. Sometimes thinking that uh, both are equally strong or they are holding the same amount of strength. At least that's how I feel. Uh, sometimes. But I'm very excited about tonight. I hope that you two are excited. Uh, thank you guys for being here. I know I changed the title for the show today and I call it The Battle of the Mind. I hope that uh, when it pops up on people's phones, they're able to recognize that it's cabin devils. But go ahead and let them know that we're live and uh, I hope that uh, all of us will be able to join in tonight. You're welcome once again. Welcome to Cabin Devils. To borrow the words of uh, Rick Warren, he says, I have seen the face of mental illness. He says, I, I have seen what it's like when people are unable to hear God because their minds are broken and cannot seem to connect to God, even when they want to connect to God. And I know whatever gets your mind gets you. So one of the most important things we need to learn and teach others is how to guard, strengthen, and renew our minds because the battle of sin always starts in the mind. Always starts in the mind. Dr. John, um, would you just like to greet us? We would like to make sure that you are there. But when it comes to the mind, do you agree with uh, Rick Warren's statement when he says the battle of sin begins with the mind. I guess the question I'm asking really is what exactly are we looking forward to tonight before I can begin my set of questions. Dr. John, you're welcome to the show. Thank you, David. Uh, it's great to be here from uh, Clearwater and we got a beautiful sunny day here. Uh, I agree with Rick. Uh, I think that the uh, the, the mind is the, the battlefield that, uh, that really every one of us uh, has, uh, whether we know it or not. And I think that's one of the, the things that we'll get into discussing tonight. Uh, every one of us, every uh, listener uh, and you and myself, uh, everyone who will hear this um, uh, when they listen, uh, even in the future, uh, every one of us it has a battle going on in our minds, and it's a nearly constant thing. And I think one of the things that the enemy of our souls would want us to believe is that there isn't a battle. And I think that's the, the thing that hopefully uh, in today's uh, session, when we talk about uh, the mind being the battlefield, that at least 
we'll be able to recognize uh, that there's a battle going on. And I think once we've got that recognition, uh, then we've got a, a, a chance at least to, uh, to compete and, and win. Amen. And win. I think that will be our last uh, episode on Friday. How to win uh, this battle. But there's something that he says, uh, Rick Ryan says, um, and I quote, whatever gets your mind gets you. Whatever gets your mind gets you. And just to double click on that statement, I have come to realize that in the recent past, there has been major struggles uh, with failure. Uh, why? Because so much has changed. And so if you've been building a career, if you've been working at school, there's a sense in which most of us have felt like we have failed in, in, in so many ways. Now, Romans seven nineteen, when Paul says, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. When, when he says that, Paul is talking about something in this passage. And whatever he's talking about, we have to note that he had failed at something. Uh, not because he didn't want to do it, but there was a war going on. This war goes on every day in our lives. And there are days we try so hard, but we still fail. And so I want to just pick up on this verse, uh, Romans seven nineteen. not so much as sometimes we naturally apply it to addictions, we naturally apply it to the law, exactly what Paul is talking about. But I wanted to just to take an application tonight in the sense of failure, the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And, and, and that really for me is the definition of failure, where you want to do things, but somehow you, you just end up not accomplishing those things. And sometimes it can be in a sinful way, especially when Paul talks about the good that I want to do, I don't do. And the question I have for the listeners tonight, those of you who have tuned in, is what things have you failed at this year? What things have you failed at this year? Maybe the important question um, would be, how do we handle, how should we handle failure? How should we handle failure? Or how have you handled failure? Just just go ahead and type for us in the comments uh, below how we should handle failure. Because once in a while we wake up uh, on uh, January 1st and we think we're going to lose weight, we think we're going to be better, but along the way things don't happen the way we plan to have those things happen. And I know we're celebrating the year 2021, hoping that maybe it will not have any of these 2020 escapades of lockdowns. And, and it looked like 2021, at least for the Ugandans, was worse than the previous year. And I want to say we failed at so many things. But when your mind is playing games, when there's this battle going on, the things you want to do, you don't end up doing. How have you handled failure? I'd like to hear from at least each one of us present tonight on how we have handled failure. So please go ahead and uh, post in the comments below uh, of how we should handle failure. And it says, all of my mistakes woven through my story, my story, all oh, the mess I make. God use it 
for your glory. Every wrong turn, it's true. Lead me right here to you. I lose my way, nothing greater than your grace. And it's it's an encouragement to know that the things we fail at, uh, I mean, Paul concludes that pastor says, oh, wretched man that I am. He's gotten to the bottom. But also let me bring some other direction to this particular message and say that we have to understand that sin is sin before God. And I know sometimes you may want to think of sin as mistakes. It sounds like, oops, I dropped something. But that's not how God sees it. When he sent his son, his son was not dying for oops. He was dying for very, very gross nature of actions that would destroy and degrade the human race. And so when we come before God, let's come with total repentance and remorse towards the things that we have done, the things we've done. But again, we're talking about failure. And I I love how uh, Terry is bringing up these aspects of our body sizes and uh, (laughs) talking about the belly and wanting to run and wanting to uh, get those packed. I don't even know how men get those things from. Who told you that it's not prestigious to have a big stomach? I mean, in the African society, that was a, a sign of, of, of health. You're, you're healthy. But now with this science and doctors coming around, they're telling us it's not healthy to have a big stomach, but that's okay. That's okay. But again, I love the comments that were coming up. Thank you guys so much. Um, Trying to lose weight seems like a very huge, huge goal uh, for most of us. But Joel is saying sometimes he usually just shuts down and he condemns himself when he fails. And I think I can identify with that. We begin to ask the question, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? And uh, it's interesting that uh, some of the things we consider ourselves to have failed at actually do not matter in the eyes of God. I'm not saying everything, but I'm just simply saying some of the things we beat ourselves down on do not matter. Uh, Terry says, I'm trying to run out of the of the port. Again, he mentions that, trying to run so that the port can uh, be able to reduce. And uh, Lucy says, nothing makes me more aware of my pride than failure. Hmm. I wish we could be able to double click on that to find out exactly what Lucy is talking about. But I think just when we fail and the, that pride is trying to creep up, we are reminded that we are only weak. Um, I remember uh, Grace in a, in a different scenario altogether. She said at that point when I felt weak, when we prayed and we said, God, show yourself strong. We were reminded again of that verse. In our weaknesses, God, God is strong. But thank you so much, Lucy. Uh, Apollo is saying, after failing in the relationship I had, I just opted to wait on the Lord and his will be done in my life. I've experienced some of that, the waiting part. It's been three years of constantly waiting and I'm daily, daily reminded to be patient. Thank you so much, Apollo, for bringing that out. Grace Natalie says, eventually giving up becomes an option. Heaven is the goal. Wow. Eventually giving up becomes an option. I need to do an episode or a podcast yeah, just to find out the right time to give up. I think there's a time to give up, but I don't know. One of those days we'll have to really, really research. When do I choose to take a different direction? And uh, that's interesting. 
That is interesting. It, I think it's something we would like to double click on and, and just be able to expound some more. Joel, thank you. Joel says, but I remember the story uh, in the gospel, I think of John is trying to, is what he's trying to mean when Peter had gone back fishing after denying Jesus. And Joel says, I'm amazed how Jesus comes to him on that lake and again addresses him as a child. So I guess I'm supposed to fix my eyes on what Jesus did on the cross and not on myself. Thank you. Um, I, I really hope, I don't know, I'm going to ask Dr. John a question and I, I hope you bring up those two examples of Judas and Peter. Both found themselves almost in a similar scenario. One of them betrayed, the other denied. And for me, they kind of sound the same thing. But one hated himself so much and the things he had done that he took his own life, while the other found redemption. And I don't know if that's what the Bible refers to when it talks about repentance that leads to death. I don't know. But again, we have a whole doctor in our midst to be able to shed some more light on these things. But thank you so much, uh, Joel, for, for just pointing that out uh, for us. Women are the ones who don't want men with babies. <laughs> <laughs> I am I'm going to ignore that. I am going to hope that the ladies here and the men here are not uh, really focusing on their sizes. Um, why? Anyway, but thanks. Thanks, guys. Beautiful, beautiful comments coming in. It's interesting that... Uh, the mind can play games. Um, and, and, and even as we think about different aspects of culture and, uh, and our Christian work, we need to see things the right way. We need to see things the right way. I'm sure at some point, um, with Dr. John, you're going to talk about second Corinthians 10, uh, three to five. I think if you're not going to, please go ahead and talk about it. When he says that though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. He says we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, Rick Warren in his article, The Battle for Your Mind, he, he continues to say, and he says this, and I quote, he says, a stronghold can also be a personal attitude. Worry can be a stronghold. Seeking the approval of other people can be a stronghold. Anything that you make an idol in your life can be a stronghold. And he names a couple here. He says fear, guilt, resentment, insecurity. All of these things can be strongholds in your mind. And the Bible says that we are to tear them down. Dr. John, how have you dealt with, with failure? Apart from saying it's not entirely my fault, how, how else have you dealt with failure? I'm sure you have failed a couple of times in a couple of things. Uh, Dr. John, anything for us? Yes, David. I, uh, boy, as a physician, and, and you had texted me a question earlier this morning before I saw my patients. And, uh, you know, uh, I saw that the text coming across about uh, individuals feeling like they have failed because of the weight and the pot belly and the stuff like that. And, and as a physician, 
Uh, I feel failure. I feel like a failure when my patients fail, uh, you know, in, in these times in, in this, particularly when Christian uh, patients uh, fail and continue to struggle in areas of, of health and obvious health. Today, uh, and you guys in Uganda think you've got a weight problem, but here in America, I mean, we we are the are the champion, uh, you know, country as far as obesity. I saw three men in a row uh, who were over three hundred pounds, and 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 none of them was more uh, taller than six two, and uh, each one of them was firmly convinced that their weight problem was not that they ate too much. Uh, it was, it was something that they, you know, either they weren't getting enough exercise or they weren't eating the right kinds of food, but it wasn't a, uh, an eating, uh, you know, problem wasn't uh, too much food. And, uh, you know, and, and so for me personally, uh, I've had struggles in the past. I've, I've had issues with weight. Uh, now I don't, uh, but I have had issues in the past disciplining myself uh, for that. And then one of the other things that I keyed in uh, to that your folks uh, mentioned there uh, were relationship failures and, and driving people away um, and, and having personalities that kind of rub people the wrong way. Uh, and to me, I think that's one of the key things, too, that we, we have to, when we have conflict in our relationships, and every one of us has conflict in our relationships, you know, we have to look in the mirror and say, uh, I'm contributing to the problem in the relationship. And, uh, and I think that's one of the keys is to look at where you have failed um, one of the things, and, and Oswald Chambers is a favorite of yours, David, he's a favorite of mine. Uh, one of the things for me that came across from Oswald in the last two years uh, is he, he makes this statement. He says, the main characteristic, which is the proof of the indwelling spirit, is an amazing tenderness in personal dealings and a blazing truthfulness regarding God's word. And a, an amazing tenderness in personal dealing and a blazing truthfulness with regard to God's word. And that's what Oswald says is, is a characteristic, a chief characteristic of the indwelling spirit. And when I first read that, I kind of smugly laughed and I said, well, I don't have any problem with the blazing truthfulness. But then, um, then I had to really cry because the amazing tenderness in personal dealing was lacking in my life. And that was a main uh, a failure of mine that I didn't have the tenderness that Jesus had when he faced people who were in conflict with him. And so that's one of the things, and again, a challenge. I think one of the issues, and it did come up, one of your uh, listeners talked about pride. And, and, you know, the problem with pride is that when we are having conflict, our desire for self-vindication, uh, you know, and being right, you know, comes up. And so we, we feel this, this surge of, uh, you know, 
righteousness, but it's not a, a Christ righteousness. It's not a holy righteousness. It's a self righteousness that comes in our spirit. And that is one of the things uh, that destroys relationships. So in the battlefield uh, that we're, we're going to talk about today, uh, those are areas where I have, have struggled and failed. Oh, man, I, I wish we had the whole day to talk about this. <laughs> it's I just to maybe kind of think through again about the things you said. You did end right there with righteousness or self-righteousness. And uh, I do remember a comment you made about three of your patients who do not believe overeating is part of the problem. Um, I just saw a dentist. Um yesterday and he had decided a week ago that he was going to extract my tooth not even to attempt to repair it now i've been seeing him every six months and i thought everything was okay but he looked at my last wisdom tooth and he said i cannot fix this one it's too far i just can't fix we have to remove it and I had the appointment yesterday. And when I was heading out, woke up very early in the morning, I tried to brush my teeth so clean because I know someone is going to look in there. And something popped in my mind. He said, this is like self-righteousness. It's, it's, it's like trying to impress the dentist. And he's going to see everything. I mean, he sees further into our teeth more than we could ever see. Before the mirror, you only see the frontal. And he's going to see the deepest, the nastiest part of our mouth. And brushing our teeth does not impress him at all. And the, the, I mean, the reason we're removing this tooth is because I failed at something. And so I'm writing down an article that I'm going to post on the Cabin Devils website one of these days, just before we launch it. And it's going to be five reasons a tooth extraction and self-righteousness have so much in common. And I have those five reasons. Let me give you a glimpse of those five reasons unexplained. Number one, you can't impress the dentist by brushing. <laughs> you can't impress our Lord Jesus Christ by your actions. And number two, brushing changes nothing. And so sometimes we want to do good uh, to cater for the bad or the sin that we've committed, but it changes nothing. Our righteous acts are like filthy rugs. Sometimes the pain is worse than it was before. When you choose to do the right thing, he has to extract that tooth. I felt so much pain yesterday, more than I was feeling before. But number four is this, you hear lots of scary stories before you go to the dentist. And sometimes our friends will tell you, if you come clean with your sin, this and this might happen. So the further you hide it, just pretend that everything is okay. And that is the epitome of pride. And number five, the peace you receive afterwards is incomparable. That's just a glimpse of some of the things that are coming up on the Capin Devils website. But once again, thank you so much, guys, for your thoughts. Grace here is saying that I also remember someone saying the enemy is the accuser. Let's not do his work for him by accusing the brethren. Two, talking about failure and criticizing others. Eric says, we need to die daily. We need to constantly remind ourselves of God's love so that when we fail, we will not be let down by depression. That, that's key. That is really, really key. Uh, Frank Matto says, my pride causes me pain and hurt every time I fail. And I think that's 
that's that's just awesome uh, for us to uh, be able to think about some of these things. So, guys, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for bringing these things up. I really appreciate. Well, um, at this point in time, allow me to welcome Dr. John uh, just to share with us uh, the stuff that he's prepared, the message he's prepared for us without interrupting him. And towards the end there, if you have questions, please post them in the chat. Dr. John has time to answer these questions. He has time. If not today, he will answer them in the next show. But please don't be afraid to post your questions. At this point in time, allow me to welcome Dr. John. Dr. John, you're welcome. Thank you so much, David. And uh, and I really appreciate the uh, interaction just so that we can kind of see what direction we're headed uh, today. And I told you that I wanted to talk about the mind uh, and really the mind in context, I think, is we want to think of it as the battlefield upon which the war between the flesh and the spirit takes place. And so, David, you referenced Psalm, uh, Romans 7. So if, if your um, listeners have their Bibles, I'd, I'd say flip to Romans 7 and put your finger in there. And, and this is a way I think that we want to, to just kind of prepare um, uh, to read because Romans 7 and Romans 8 is where Paul really talks about this, this kind of battlefield uh, metaphor. Now, the question uh, that we're going to answer today is why is the mind a battlefield? And, and the second question is what makes it that way? Uh, in each person, each day, the mind is the center of your thought life. Thoughts come into your mind constantly every day. Hundreds and perhaps thousands of thoughts enter the mind every hour and each of those thoughts work together to shape our lives. So how we think and what we think about determines who we become. And this is what, David, I think you were saying that Rick Warren alluded to, that, that our minds are open to um, distraction and uh, information, and particularly in this era of social media and news programs and all kinds of things, uh, we allow all kinds of different thoughts to occur to our mind that we don't necessarily even know about. We're, we're not actually thinking about what we're going to think about. We just get confronted with thought after thought after thought. And the mind has an amazing capacity to assimilate information quickly. And because of the way the human mind works, it largely then determines our attitudes and our actions every day. So this means that our minds can either be used for God's purposes, like loving him and loving others, or it can mean that our minds can be used in sinful, selfish ways that harm us and those around us and hurt our relationship with God. And so let's just uh, read a proverb that I think is very common uh, to everybody. And I think uh, Proverbs 14, 12 is a good way to start. And it says this, there is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way to death. 
And, and, and this is what I want to subject, uh, submit to you is that when you consider a thought in your mind, there are competing allegiances that are in your mind. And those competing allegiances include uh, the enemy. And so how Satan works is that he suggests things into your mind. Uh, he, of course, is the accuser, as was mentioned. Uh, he's also, Jesus calls him the father of lies. So there are, are certain things that he has uh, maybe suggested into your mind, information that you have believed to be true, but is actually not true. That's what the Proverbs fourteen twelve say. It seems right, but it's actually leading to death. And another way that Satan works is is on the principle of distraction. So so he'll pre present you with multiple information kind of overload that actually prevents you from hearing that still small voice of God. Uh, and one of the reasons why when we want to commune with God, we've got to shut all that out. We've got to get to a quiet place where we can pray and commune with and hear God. Another way that Satan works is what I would call diversion. So he refocuses your attention to something other than what you were attending to. And I find this happening in my mind when I go into the prayer time and you're in the prayer closet and you're sitting there and, and trying to shut everything out. And then uh, a thought occurs to you, oh, I have a meeting with uh, so-and-so later today. And, and pretty soon, instead of thinking about God and his will, you're thinking about your uh, schedule for the day and what needs to be done and other things. And, and, and that's a diversion. And that's one of the ways that Satan works uh, on you. And then I'd say the, 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 the other way that Satan really works is, is destruction. He, he tries to disintegrate your mind, your relationships and your life. Uh, so 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so the enemy is there constantly working against your mind. He wants to uh, uh, hurt you. He wants to uh, destroy your family. He wants to destroy uh, relationships that are important to you. If you're married, he wants to destroy your marriage. Uh, and that's because you're, you're uh, a follower of Jesus the King. So he is, is a sworn enemy of yours. And so that's against you. The world system, which is also controlled uh, by the enemy and by uh, demons, evil spirits, he's also, uh, that's also working against you. And, and, but, but here's the thing. I don't want for today's purposes for us to give the devil or give the world more credit than what it deserves. Because... The most problematic um, issue that each one of us deals with regarding our minds is not the devil and it's not the world, but it's what we call the flesh. It's the remnant of your old life, okay? It's called the sinful nature 
or the part of you that um, that still yet needs to be submitted to the authority of God. And this is exactly what Paul was talking about there in Romans 7. So in verse 18, he says this, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Then in verse 21, Paul goes on and says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another war, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And, and I just want us to think and reflect there for a moment what Paul is saying. He is saying that in his very own mind, there are two principles that are fighting against each other. And you could say the principle of good versus the principle of evil, but the spiritual terms that Paul uses for those is his in his mind, there is a spirit that is given to us and that fights against his flesh. And it's interesting if you read down in Romans 8, uh, two uh, through eight, it goes on a little bit further. Paul tells us how this battle is actually won. He says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so Paul talks in specific terms that the war, the battle that's going on in your mind is a battle between the spirit and your flesh. And now this is part of the problem when we then uh, complicate matters. So, so within you, in yourself, there's already conflict going on. Every single human being is conflicted internally. Now what happens? Well, if you're married, so you have you who's conflicted internally, and now you have your spouse who is also, guess what, conflicted 
internally. So there's a war going on in their mind for the spirit and the flesh. And here's what happens, unfortunately, that when when two people get together, let's say, in a marriage where there's a conflict going on, if you are walking in the spirit and your spouse is walking in the flesh, there's going to be conflict. If you are in the flesh and your spouse is in the spirit, there is going to be conflict. If you are in the flesh and your spouse is in the flesh, there is going to be serious conflict. And the only way that we can get it right in our relationships is if we walk in the spirit and our spouse walks in the spirit. And you can extend that to any other relationship that you have. So if you have a conflict with a coworker, with your boss, uh, with your brother or sister or neighbor or anyone else, it comes down to this. You have a war going on in your mind and they have a war going on in their mind. In Isaiah 55, God says it this way. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And the interesting thing here is that it's only God in in the persons of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit who are in constant harmony. Father, Son, Spirit, never in conflict, never in the flesh. In fact, although Jesus came and took flesh on, Jesus did not have a sinful flesh. Jesus had a holy flesh, the kind of flesh that we will all have when we're in the kingdom. And one of the things that's interesting here, and I want to take you uh, to show you that Jesus in his flesh uh, had questions, okay? But those questions weren't sinful. They weren't, he, he wasn't setting his mind or his will up against God. He was setting his mind up to uh, connect with God. If you look to Jesus's uh, uh prayer in Matthew 26, verses 39 through 44. And this is a real uh, wonderful uh, opportunity for us to look at the character of Jesus, fully God and yet fully human. It says there in verse 39, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. He says again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, 
he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And what Matthew is showing us is that Jesus is asking the question, Father, if there is another way, please let this cup pass. But if not, I want your will. I don't want my will. I want your will to be done, Father. I don't want my will to be done. And this is how God works. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says it this way. I'm sure many, many of you have, have uh, memorized this, this verse. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And so the idea is, is trust in God faith in God, submitting to the will of God and understanding that it's God's will, even when you're in the midst of conflict, when you're in the midst of struggle, when you're in the midst of a, of a problem, uh, it's God's desire that you come to him and present your problem to him. So for example, when we're talking about issues about uh, weight and weight loss, if I try in my own mind and I say, I'm going to finally lose weight, I'm going to go to Weight Watchers or I'm going to join this uh, online fitness club and I'm going to do it, I'm going to make it happen, you'll never make it happen. Because what's happening is you're trying to do that in your strength. You're trying to to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and, and will yourself to, to do this in the power of your flesh and you will never succeed. What God wants us to do is to bring the issue of our weight to him in prayer and say, Father, I have tried and I have failed. Uh, I want to lose weight. I want to, to have my body be a temple for your spirit that you are comfortable in, uh, but I have failed. Please help me, Father. This is a spiritual issue. I want to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Please give me spiritual power to overcome this. And this is the straight path. So when we go to God, as opposed to the enemy who accuses us and points fingers at us and says, you'll never do it because you're not good enough and you can't do it. God, when we go to him, will reveal the truth. And in the revealing of himself and his truth, God reveals our heart too. If, for example, it's a weight issue, okay, and weight reduction is what is needed, do I really want to lose weight? Am, am I really committed to that? Do I want God to be comfortable in my body? Do I want the Holy Spirit to be at home in my heart and feeling like the temple that he dwells in is being cared for? Am, am I doing the temple maintenance that's appropriate? So he reveals the truth. The second thing that he does is he refocuses our mind. He refocuses our attention, not on us and on our failures or on the enemy and his accusations, but God refocuses our mind and our attention on him. If Jesus endured the cross to bear our sin, 
and to provide an atonement for us, then the least that we can do is to take his, his power, his spirit, his Holy Spirit within us and discipline ourselves for the purpose of his glory and for our good. So he refocuses our mind and our attention on him. The third thing he does is he restores our soul. He restores the joy and restores our, our, our peace to us that says, yes, my son, yes, my daughter, you're seeing me, you're hearing me, you're getting it right. Please walk in my ways. And then he refreshes our spirit. He gives us a fresh kind of vision for what this life will be like in him. And then he renews our mind. And that's what we're going to talk about on Friday, winning the battle that we fight every day. The battle in our mind cannot be won in the flesh. We have to recognize that the battle is between the flesh and the spirit, but winning the battle only comes when we, like Jesus, submit our wills to the will of the Father and then walk in him. Because while he renews our mind, he regards our heart and he looks at us. He won't make the choices for us. He won't uh, mean, you know, he won't be like a, a puppet master and, and move our, our uh, uh, you know, mouth and make us do and say things, but he will be with us as we walk through these struggles and trials so that in Christ we will recognize we're loved by the creator of the universe. We are a child of the king. We've been chosen before the foundation of the world, and we're free to choose good and walk in the spirit and to shun evil. We'll also recognize that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. We're called according to his riches and power and for his purposes, and we're created for good works. And so, yes, David, you hit on uh, 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So then our obedience is not something that we just have to push our wills to do things that we don't want to do. We actually have a heart that is aligned with the heart of God. And then our obedience to God is joy. And the last word that I wanted to leave you with today is from Philippians 4, 8, and 9. And Paul writes this. It's a conclusion statement. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you.
And so what Paul is suggesting is that when we're walking in the spirit, we will be thinking these things that are honorable, true, lovely, excellent, worthy of praise, all of those things. And those things will give us the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. John. It's, it's been awesome um, just listening to you and, and soaking it all in. One overall theme that I've heard you talk about is submitting our will to the will of the Father. And at the end there was a very, very beautiful summary of everything, whatever is true, whatever is noble, think about such things. And when you mentioned that, for me, the first thing that came to mind is what usually occupies our thoughts probably is the things we look at, the things we read, the things we listen to and uh, guard your heart for out of it flows issues of life. Let me go back a little bit to uh, some of the things that you've been talking about. And uh, let me just apologize briefly here for those of you who are hearing some inconsistency when it comes to volume. Uh, we'll fix that. There's some equipment we are looking for that uh, we'll be able to fix all of that. And so I'm so sorry that you have to keep adjusting your mics uh, to listen to both me and, uh, and Dr. John at the same time. But Dr. John, you did talk about, um, you did mention two key passages and one of them was Proverbs 3, 5. Uh, very, very familiar, trusting the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. This version I'm reading from says, submit to him and he will make your path straight. I'm going to make a couple of assumptions here and I'll beg for your correction. One of the commands given here, yes, in as much as we are to trust in the Lord with all our hearts, we are also commanded not to lean on our own understanding. Um, I have found myself in places where, or situations where, logic is required, where reason is required, but also integrity is required. And I want to, at this point in time, get logic and reason and maybe put it on the side of the flesh with a particular example. Um, in Uganda, most of Africa, and I'm sure also in the US, a policeman stops you, you're in trouble. Uh, it's your word against theirs. But on our case, or most of our cases, usually they say fault with your car. And the guy comes to you and he's asking, today they ask for sanitizer. They don't ask for tea anymore. And uh, they, they ask the question, do you have any sanitizer? Because of the COVID times. But you know exactly what he's asking for. And uh, some of them have even gone ahead to quote scripture where they ask you not to go to court. They are saying, court is going to waste your time, but we can sort this out right now. And logic says at that point, reason says at that point, 5,000 shillings, which probably is less than $2, will save you thousands and thousands uh, of, of shillings. It will also save you hours of just going back and forth. And so logic will tell you that pay it up, give him the sanitizer, give him the tea that he needs, and all will be fine. In fact, it has been proven with time that all will be fine. And you've had stories, even from Christians, who will tell you that all was fine when they paid that little money. And at this point, I'm looking at 
proverbs and I'm asking the question, are there moments where we put reason aside, we put logic aside and just simply live in obedience with an effort to submit our will to the will of God? Because I believe his word is absolute. It's not for bargaining. What is right is right. What is wrong is wrong. Sometimes I think we battle in our minds. Why? Because we're trying to find the middle ground where we can sin a little bit for convenience and yet not be so much labeled as sinners. But I also, when I was thinking about this while you're still speaking, I was still reminded again of uh, Romans 12, where it says that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I also want to assume that there's moments where our minds definitely will put a group of principles together to come up with a philosophy um, in, in the sense that we are going to end up with a conclusion of the matter. But I don't know. Have you found yourself in a place, Dr. John, where, yes, logic doesn't make sense, reason doesn't make sense, and the only thing you have to lean on is the fact that what you are doing is right, even when you don't feel like it? Uh, yes, David, and I, and I think uh, what you're talking about, I, I'm, I, we don't have a, a similar cultural thing over here, but I, but I, I would say, and I do think uh, that probably in the first century, uh, Jesus encountered something of the sort. Uh, when Jesus was asked about paying taxes and things like that, uh, you know, he wasn't in his hometown and, and for expediency, Jesus, you know, got a coin out of a fish and paid the tax. He didn't uh, try to stand up to the government. And I think this is one of the keys. Um, what the response is, isn't what is right. You know, is this person, is this, uh, you know, is this, uh, do I need to prove that the uh, police officer is, is corrupt, uh, you know that he is. So there's no need to prove a point there. Um, you can, and I think uh, in good conscience, uh, pay whatever the fee is to, to move on. And, and, I, and I'd say that would be a, a pragmatic thing as, a, as what I think Proverbs 3, 5 would say uh, would be, as, as you're being stopped, you're immediately aligning yourself with the Lord. And so you have a prayer saying, Father, help me to uh, connect here. Help me to respond in a, in a calm and a loving and a concerned and a, and a respectful manner. And, and what's interesting, uh, on Monday we talked about how in the... Uh, in the Hebrew, uh, there's no word for mind. And, and Proverbs 3, 5 is one of those things uh, where you, you think if that word uh, heart were translated mind, it would make perfect sense. Trust in the Lord with all your mind and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. But the key thing is it's not mind. The Hebrew didn't have a word for mind. And so this is where we go back to what we talked about in May. When we're trusting in God, we're even recognizing moments 
that a police officer stops us at the side of the road and he's going to shake us down for a bribe. And we even recognize that as a test. And, and so it's, it's a test not where we begrudgingly give the, you know, the bribe or pay the bribe. We use it as an opportunity to trust in God. And so before the conversation begins, we shoot what I call an arrow prayer. And it says something like this, Lord, take control. And then as the, as the uh, person comes up, you know, he looks at you and, you know, he maybe sees that you're praying a little bit. And, and so you just have a means of calmness about you. And, uh, and I, I can say for me personally, I've been stopped not because I was doing nothing wrong, but because I was speeding and I've been stopped by cops and they come up and I've prayed one of those arrow prayers and I give them my license and my registration and they go back to the car and write things down. And then they come back and say, you know, uh, you know, doctor, you were 15 miles over the speed limit. Uh, please try to keep it below. And I say, thank you very much, officer. And, you know, he goes on his way and I go on my way. So in our culture, I think there are those kinds of experiences. Um, you never know what God is going to do. And uh, since we're near the end of our time, I want to make one more comment, David. And, and the question uh, came up in our uh, in the previous question prior to uh, the uh, the questions you asked me and it was about uh, sometimes it is I think the, the gist of it is is giving up an option and I would submit to you that giving up is the best option if we're inclined to give up to God's control you see, I think normally in our minds, when we think giving up means giving up means giving in. So I will give in to whatever the situation is. I will give in and, and you know, uh, eat when I shouldn't eat. I'll, I'll give in and, and, you know, fail in this temptation. But, but if I do that then there will be more testing and more pain and more problems. Uh, if on the other hand, I give up to God's control, if I'm trusting in him with all my heart and I totally surrender to him, then I know that the outcome is going to glorify him and is going to be for my good. Awesome. Wow. It's you, you left me really at the point when you said maybe that is an opportunity to trust God. Uh, when the police officer is walking up to you, you call it the arrow prayer. I never thought about it as an opportunity to trust God. And I think at that point we are thinking, how can I get out of this situation with as little pain as possible? We, I personally really think about it as an opportunity to trust God. God. But thank you. I think it just ties right into Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on your understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Thank you so much, Dr. John. I'd like to really respect your time, but also appreciate you 
for the minutes that you have given us. This is this has been deep and I cannot wait for Friday. I really cannot wait for Friday. Thank you guys for uh, being here. Thank you so much for attending Cabin Devils with us today. has been the actual definition of uh, devotions. Why? Because we'd like to speak to each other. We'd like to s- just contribute our thoughts and I cannot wait uh, for Friday. I really hope and pray that uh, you will make it. Bring your entire family, bring your relatives with you. Let them know that we're live. In fact, I would want to challenge you to talk to a friend about cabin devils between today and Friday. Just talk to a friend about cabin devils. Ask them the question, do you know about cabin devils? And whatever answer they give you, you can pick it up from there. Thank you so much. Dr. John, what are we waiting for? What are we looking forward to on Friday? Maybe some of us are thinking, I may or may not come. If they're here tonight, could you just convince them in one minute that they cannot afford to miss Friday, Dr. John? Well, if you've been convinced today that there is a battle (laughs) in your mind, that's what I wanted you to to get away with, that there is a battle not just in your mind but in everyone's mind, and there, there are battles constantly going on all the time. Friday, we're going to talk about the mind, Winning the battle you fight every day. So we're going to talk about how the battle is won and and how it's a done deal and that we can, instead of of, of losing constantly and, and constantly struggling and having trouble, uh, how we can actually have the victory that God wants us to have and fight these battles and actually uh, come out on the winning side, which is God's side. Yes, thank you so much. Let me encourage you to go ahead and follow us right here on Podbean. Do not exit this app without clicking or tapping the follow button. And then also just go to Facebook and uh, follow or look for Cabin Devils and uh, become uh, a follower on that Instagram as well. Um, we are on your favorite podcast app if you'd like to pick up on some of the episodes that we have done in the past. In fact, right now we're at episode 102 when it comes to shows that we have done in the past. Go ahead and search through. The site that we are developing will make it very, very easy to search for episodes by by speaker, by topic. I'm actually adding hashtags as well. So that if you're looking for something concerning the soul, it may not be direct, but if an episode just addresses that particular aspect, you'll be able to find each of those episodes. I'm going to make it as easy as possible to find the episode that you're looking for. But keep praying for that project that we are working on right now. Let me encourage you also that if you'd like to talk to someone about what's going on in your life, understand that this is a community of believers who have probably gone through the same thing you are going through, send an email to talk at cabindevils.com if you'd like to talk to someone. Talk at cabindevils.com. And if you'd like to share a story of how this ministry has been of impact to you, just send me an email directly to david at cabindevils.com. david at cabindevils.com. If you've been receiving emails from Cabin Devils, let me encourage you to just simply reply with a received comment. Why? Because it kind of tricks or tells the web clients that there's some major content going on. That way, 
our emails don't end up in the junk folder of other people's uh, emails, uh, email inboxes. So please go ahead and reply. Just simply actually that you've received, and uh, that 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 means a lot to what we are trying to do. But guys, I will see you again on Friday. Have a beautiful night. May God bless you. Thank you so much, Joel, for coming. Mwesh, glad to see you, Frank. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. We see Victor. Mr. Kato Victor has been here with us. We did have some kind of friends coming in. Ishimwe showed up. We have someone called Wanda Precious who joined us and MG Frank uh, towards the end there. Tulian, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, James, it was great to have you. Seth, you have been quiet, but it's awesome to have you. Lindsay, always great to have you. Eric, thank you so much for your participation and our beautiful wife here called Grace Tumile has also been with us. Thank you guys. Let me leave you with this beautiful song.